You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. perspective, all the winners in the rooms are the one clad in the velvet and, and the wearing the crowns and, and having the place of authority and position in life. And the winners in, in the world's view, that's those people. But from heaven's view, the hero is right in the center of it all, dressed in rags, in chains. <laughs> and as he shares, when he talks about the resurrection of the dead, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. Though you don't deserve it, you will suffer in this life for the name of Jesus. It's clear in his word. You'll suffer at some point like Jesus did. And it's important in those moments to stay focused on God and keep your faith. Pastor Danny will encourage you today to realize that God is doing a work for you that you can't see yet. The world will view you and God as a loser because of what you're going through. But remember, you'll gain glory that will far outweigh the suffering you're experiencing. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Romans chapter 8 as he continues his message, More Than Conquerors. To every nation Everyone, a precious stone. You, you can't imagine the glory. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Everything he has, I forget. And so do you. So why are you fighting over stuff now? Why do you get all bent out of shape when you feel like, oh, I didn't get what I wanted? One day Jesus is confronted by a guy and he says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he says, man, who made me an arbiter, a judge between you and your brother? And then you know what he says after that? Watch out for all kinds of greed. Watch out. Watch out for wanting things in this life. Listen, you already own it. You already own it. We own the world. I, we're trying to get people to Mars. I don't, why do I want to go to Mars? I get to go to Mars after the new creation, or at least, you know, once I'm like the angels, but look, we got to move on here. But look, we're going to be able to travel. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Number three, I'm not getting all this. Not getting all this because of anything I've done. Well, I'm here, look, because I deserve it. No, you don't, you don't deserve nothing. Nothing. And that's, you say, where is that point in the text? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? In other words, some people look and say, yeah, you don't deserve that. That's what hell says all the time. Hell looks at us and, and says, them? They're yours? And that's when Jesus intercedes. And he says, yes, I paid the price for them. 
and now they have my righteousness. We don't deserve it because of him. And for all eternity, you'll never forget that. You'll never forget that you're there, not because of your righteousness. You're there because of what Jesus did. There's nothing that can separate me from the love of Christ. Nothing. I went and checked out, you know, these things that will tell you what the words really mean and go into more depth. And the trouble, trouble is difficulty, problems of any kind. But the hardship, when it's answering the question, what shall separate me? Well, there's no difficulty. There's no problem. Hardship is severe suffering. That's when it gets really heavy. Persecution is hostility from others because you are a Christian. Famine. I've never experienced famine. It's severe and prolonged hunger in a substantial portion of the population and it's part of the population you live in. Nakedness. What is that? You've been robbed of everything, including your clothes. You don't own, a, you don't own nothing. They've taken everything from you. Can't separate you from the love of Christ. The danger the danger, the word they say really means you're not there yet experiencing the danger, but you see it coming. You see it coming. And then sword, well, that's death. And he says it, and then he says a couple other things, and he goes right back to it again. No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors. Then verse 38, he talks about other things. I'm convinced, and then he lists some other things that can't separate us from the love of Christ. Death nor life. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Angels or demons, nothing in the spiritual realm. The present or the future. The present is bad, the future may be worse. Can't separate me from the love of Christ. No powers, no government, no nation, no person. Neither height nor depth. There is no place you can go and be separated from the love of Christ. And then he just says, nor anything in all creation. You know what that is? That's fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. There's nothing. Nothing. Nothing, no one, no how can separate you from the love of Christ. Now here's where we get to the juicy part. Living out my purpose in this life as a Christian involves innocent suffering that sometimes appears to make no sense. I emphasize the innocent because this is suffering that you didn't do something, you didn't make a mistake. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. No, because you are committed, it's because you are committed. Not your fault, <laughs> but it's your decision to be committed, and you, you're going to suffer. And every one of us is going to suffer in different ways in the will of God. Despite the appearance of defeat due to my suffering, I'm actually more than a conqueror. Would you say that with me? Come on, loudly. Say that with me. Ready? Despite the appearance of defeat due to my suffering, I'm actually more than a conqueror. More than a conqueror. Isn't that an amazing statement? More than a conqueror. For years, I'm like, what, is, what does that mean? How can you be more than a conqueror? It has to mean something or God wouldn't have put it there and inspired it by the Holy Spirit and put it exactly like that. It has to mean something. He could have said, you're, you're, in a, you're a winner. You're a winner for all eternity. But he didn't say that. He's, you're more than a winner. 
What does that mean? You think I'm going to tell you? You're right. What does that mean? <laughs> a conqueror defeats his enemy. While one who is more than a conqueror subjugates his enemy, making his enemy serve his own purposes. In essence, making his enemy, his foe, a slave. So you don't just win. You actually make the enemy serve the purpose of God in your life and through your life. Now, if you're of my educational background, you might have looked at the word subjugate, and you know, I really like to know a little more what that means. Okay, good. Subjugate, it means to bring under domination or control. And the idea is the enemy thinks he's winning, but the truth is he's a slave to what God's trying to do. He's actually under control and domination for God's purpose. Fascinating. We don't look like conquerors to the world. And we certainly don't look like more than conquerors. If it's God, I'll take it. If not, we'll keep moving. Turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Saul of Tarsus becomes the apostle Paul after he gets saved on his way to persecute more Christians because he thinks Jesus is not the Messiah. This is some cult, and he's looking to stamp this thing out. And then he meets Jesus, resurrected Jesus, totally transforms his life. God sends a man named Ananias to him. The Lord said to Ananias, verse 15, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings, and their kings. That's like the presidents and the rulers of the world. They're kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. The suffering that Paul went through actually laid the path for the fulfillment of his ministry. And it's fascinating when you read it. Acts chapter 23, Paul is before the Supreme Court of the day. Um, this fight breaks out over him. And, and the ones that really want him dead, they're at him, you know. And literally, he's going to be pulled apart, torn to pieces by this mob. And the soldiers come in and arrest him and lock him up. Verse 11, chapter 23, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and he said, take courage. Anytime God says take courage, it means you need it. He's a man. He's a great apostle. He's an amazing, amazing man of God, but he's still a man. And he needed times in life where he needed encouragement, and this is one of them. He just about got torn apart, and now he's arrested and they're just arresting him because they don't know what he's done yet, but to save his life, they put him in jail. And the Lord comes to him in the jail. Take courage. As you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. In other words, you're not going to die yet. I'm not going to let the mob kill you yet. But this mob wants to kill him so bad that the following verses in verse 12 and following of Acts 23, these guys that want to get at him, 
they take an oath among themselves, we're not going to eat until Paul's dead. We're going to get this thing done, and we're so committed to it, we won't eat again. We won't eat until he's dead. And they begin to plot how they're going to do it. Well, it just so happens, by chance, Paul's nephew overhears these dudes talking, planning on killing his uncle. He goes to the commander who locked Paul up, and he tells him, there's a bunch of guys around there going to try to kill my uncle. You go, what? What did you say? And here's the response to this little kid, Paul's nephew, hearing by chance the plot to kill Paul. Look at verse 23, chapter 23. Then he called two of his centurions, this soldier, and he ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide horses for Paul. Make sure he's got a fresh horse all the time, the whole journey. So that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. Are you getting what's happening here? Listen, listen. This is God sovereignly working out his will in and through Paul's life, but he's not violating the free will of man to do it. It's absolutely fascinating. To save his life from the mob, he gets him arrested and thrown in jail. And jail is actually his security. He would have been killed. Jail is in the will of God for him. And then, just by chance, his nephew hears about the plot. These guys are going to kill him the next morning when they're taking him from the jail to stand before the court. <laughs> and so the Roman, the Roman centurion, 470 elite Roman soldiers and Paul riding in the limo, right in the middle of all of them. That's exactly what would have been in our day. He would have gotten the bulletproof limo and the elite secret service to make sure that he gets safely to his destination because he got to stand before, first of all, Felix, the governor. The governor. How's he going to get into all these places to stand and share the gospel with all these mighty men of the world? He's going to get there through suffering. Fascinating. You've got to see the end of this little section. In chapter 25, he's standing before not only the governor, but the governor doesn't know what to charge him with when he sends him to the emperor. Because that's Paul's appeal to Caesar because he's a Roman citizen. And under Roman law, he has to get, be able to stand before Caesar. So he'll eventually stand before the greatest man in all the Roman world and share about Jesus Christ. And on the way, he's going to stand before all these other mighty men and women and others. So because the governor doesn't know what to write and, and send to the emperor, well, it's just what he did. Herod Agrippa just happens to be in town. And so he sends for Herod, and he says, I'd like you to hear this guy. It's amazing. I don't know what to write, so maybe you can help me on what, what, what to charge him with. Look at chapter 25, verse 23. Next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp 
and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officials and the prominent men of the city. So this is all the mighty men. The secret service is there, and all, the, and they're dressed to the hilt, and they're walking in, and here's Paul in rags, in chains. And they're amazed at this guy. And Festus says to Agrippa, the guy, the dude could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. And so now I've got to figure out what, what to charge him with. So they bring Paul before them, and they say, we'd like to hear from you. And if you read the text, he stands up and he talks about the day he got saved. He tells them his testimony of how he met Jesus Christ on his way to Damascus and the light that shone from heaven. And then he says God commissioned him. And he's to go and he's to testify before you guys. In other words, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. And from a human perspective, all the winners in the rooms are the one clad in the velvet and the wearing the crowns and having the place of authority and position in life. And the winners in the world's view, that's those people. But from heaven's view, the hero is right in the center of it all, dressed in rags, in chains. <laughs> and as he shares, when he talks about the resurrection of the dead, Festus stops him. Chapter 26, verse 24, at this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it, was, it wasn't done in a corner, all the things that happened to Jesus. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Man, he's going for the juggler, isn't he? I know you do. You believe the Bible. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul says, short time and long, I pray to God that not only you, but all you listening here, now he makes sure he gets everybody in the room. I pray that all you listening become what I am, except for these chains. I don't enjoy this. I'd love to be set free, but you understand. And he said it without saying it. These chains is what got me to stand before you. And he didn't look like a conqueror, but he was more than a conqueror. He's more than a conqueror because God's the one in control. And God is the one who sovereignly, isn't it a wonderful mystery, work just through the circumstances. Saved his life from the mob, put him in jail. Next day, he's going to be killed. These guys are so committed. 470 elite Roman soldiers and a limo bulletproof, to take him safely to his destination. Until God's through with you, no power, no person. Jesus stood before Pilate. He was amazed, just like these guys were amazed at Paul. Pilate said to Jesus, don't you realize I have the power to crucify you or, or to set you free? And Jesus turned to Pilate. You know what he said? You would have no power over me if it were not granted to you from heaven. Who is the one in control? Pilate? Mm -mm -mm -mm. 
It was the will of God for Jesus to stand before that court. And when they poured out all their accusations, they were amazed. He was like a sheep led to the slaughter that we're not going to get into, but a half a page of names. People like Joseph in the Bible. People like Job. For me, there's no adequate explanation given on this side of heaven as to why God allowed Job to go through what he went through. There's no adequate explanation given. I've read Job many times. And yet, at the end of Job's life, God blessed him twice as much as the early days of his life. Still, there was no clear answer given as to why God allowed. You know, we read it and we go, there was something going on between God and Satan. There was something going on in heaven. And God's the one that suggested Job to Satan. And if Job knew what was going on, man, I'd have shouted, don't, don't bring my name up. Why are you mentioning my name? I thought about all kinds of characters in the Bible. John the Baptist, Jesus said about him, there's no one born of women greater than John. He had fortitude. He had commitment. He wasn't living for this world. He wasn't living for the luxury. I mean, it's, Jesus said, no, those who, those who are living for luxury, they're in palaces and they dress nice. John, camel's hair, locusts, wild honey, that was his diet. But listen carefully. As great as John was and as much as he was committed, the suffering that he went through created doubt in his mind. When he got arrested, he sat in jail, and he began to doubt. Have I really believed in the right God? And he sent some of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one, or should we look for someone else? If John can doubt, I can doubt. I still have a hard time with what happened to us in our pastoral ministry four years ago. I have a hard time. But, you know, I, I finally, by faith, said, you know, there's nothing I could do about it. It was out of my control. It's out of your control. Nothing you can do about it. The last person on my list is Jesus. Jesus prayed repeatedly, earnestly to bypass the cross. Have you ever thought about that? If there's any other way, Father. And he prayed. And he sweat, and blood was mixed with the sweat. He was so anxiety. Father, if there's any way, oh, God, Father, please, not this, not this cross. Yet not my will. Say this, and we're done. Say this. Ready? To choose to suffer means something is wrong. To choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. No healthy saint ever chooses suffering. He chooses God's will, as Jesus did whether it means suffering or not. If you're looking for something, if you're looking for suffering, I ain't hanging out with you. You got to screw loose, man. You may not see it. You may not know it until you see Jesus face to face. But there's something that has your fingerprint on it. There's something, there's some cross that you are called to bear. And God has a purpose in it. The challenge is to stay focused. The challenge is not to lose faith. The challenge is to be renewed. The challenge is to be encouraged. And don't go south. Don't head to the bar. Don't head back to the old life. Don't get embittered against God. 
It's a challenge. There's purpose in the pain. And an eternal prize at the end of this life's journey. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. You're welcome to listen to additional teachings from Pastor Danny by going to our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. We also encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on the latest messages and videos from Calvary Chapel Fellowship, the church behind this ministry. If you're ever in or near the St. Petersburg area, we would love to meet you in person. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. But if you're unable to visit us in person, no worries. We also offer live stream services. Find out more on our website. Once again, that's ccfstpete.church. As Pastor Danny continues this series in the Book of Romans, our prayer is that you're finding a newfound appreciation for who Jesus is and how your life should reflect Him. Throughout the book of Romans, we read about the faith that Paul had in Jesus and how he didn't back down from his beliefs. Likewise, we encourage you to stand firm in your faith. The goal of this ministry is teaching the Word and reaching the world. We trust that the living Word is speaking to many and pray that lives would be changed. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Tune in next time to hear Pastor Danny continue to teach through the book of Romans right here on The Living Word.